Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey, everybody, it is uh, Brian M. Hauser here for the 53rd episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, it is officially the Seahawks offseason, not yet the NFL offseason, but on this podcast tonight, we're going to be talking about what the Seahawks are going to have to do, what their opportunities are, to be better than they were this year. Um, and they're pretty good this year, so uh, it should be fun. And as usual, we have our, our intrepid crew. We got the full crew tonight. We got Nathan, uh, at NathanE11 on Twitter. Good to see you, dude. Thanks. Good to be here. And uh, we've got Evan uh, in Arizona, still batching it down there. How you doing, Evan? I am doing so well. I am so excited to start talking off-season football. I think, Brian, you said it last podcast. The off-season might be more fun than the actual regular season. I'm not kidding. I'm it's not a kidding. lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Uh, and that's at Evan on HB uh, for those following along. And then uh, last but certainly not least, uh, we got at Real Jeff Simmons. Uh, I think you're in the States, dude. Is that right? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm down in Florida. I had Shake Shack today. I know Evan might kill me about that. No, Shake Shack is really good. Oh, yeah? No, it's super good. I mean, it has a premium price point, but... Shake yeah, Shack good quality burgers. Like, it's good. But the uh, shakes, though, can we talk about the shakes for a second? They're they're not up to the level of a place named Shake Shack. Like, uh, they're good. I got a high bar for shakes, and and Shake Shack is not hitting it. Um, burgers are good, though. Yeah, there you go. Well, welcome to the states. We're happy to have you for as long as we can. Um, this is now the lesser. Uh, we don't actually have a functioning government right now, so you know that might be unusual for you to get used to. Uh, but but we can we can walk you through that if necessary. Um, Jeff, uh, I'd love to have you walk us through the night, man. Uh, you you uh, have been chatting with us on the on the private DM about uh, all the things going on. Where should we start with this conversation? Man, there's a lot of areas we can hit on. Um, we're gonna. Just to let everyone know. So, yeah, the Seahawks are in offseason now. The new league year starts March 13th. So that's almost two months from now. That's when the Seahawks are able to start making signings. They're going to be able to make trades. But as Brian said before, I think that we got to start internally. We'll start with the Seahawks. Brian said earlier, the team was good, surprised a lot of people. 
the, we all want them at Super Bowl level. We have Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll. You want this team at a Super Bowl level. So why don't we start with that? Let's let's go around the room. We'll start with you, Nathan. Nathan's probably the most realistic guy we got here. Yeah, yeah about how to just some back, uh, back there. Um, about how to get back to a Super Bowl level. No, we'll start with this. What's the one area of the team they need to upgrade? Oh, um, well, this was something that we were talking about today, and it's do you want to if, if you had to choose between offensive line and defensive line, which one would you choose? Um, they obviously don't have to pick just one, um, but I think I would like to see them invest more on the defensive line, um, try to get a little bit more on the pass rush. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot last week. You know, the offensive overall performed pretty well. There's a lot of opportunities for optimization, I think. Um, but, you know, they had a couple journeyman guards that they stuck in there. Um, and the offense, they ran the ball okay. You know, Russell had a really good year. So I think that if I had to pick just one spot to go, um, trying to find a couple of complimentary pass rushers for Clark and Reed and um, in the mix there with Martin and Rasheen Green and stuff, I think that would be a great place to go. Now, question for you. Are you saying that from a Pete Carroll perspective? Because I'm surprised you didn't say wide receiver based on your views of offense. Yeah, I mean, this team has some needs. <laughs> and I think that they need to address, you know, they need to address safety, they need to address wide receiver, uh, receiver, they need to address offensive line, defensive line, like they've got places to go, right? But if you told me I could only do one, yeah. uh, I think it'd be pass rush. All right, Brian, we'll move to you for a second. You've been pretty critical of the team's defensive talent. Is that the area you would go with, or you look on the other side of the ball? Man, it's a, it's a tough question because, look, I think this, the team needs help at safety, cornerback, linebacker, defensive tackle, defensive end, offensive guards, both guards, uh, tight end, receiver, kicker. <laughs> There's a lot of needs. Um and I love, like, my favorite thing is watching the quarterback get sacked. I, I love when the opposing quarterback goes down. So it is – and I can really see a path to where the Seahawks could build a real strength, and I think we maybe we'll get back to that a little bit later. I love the idea. A lot of teams try to spread themselves really thin and address all their needs. I like teams that build up a strength, and I, I think there's a chance to do that with Frank Clark and Jaron Reed and build a really dynamic defensive line. But – if I had to pick one priority, it would be to make what I think is a decent offensive line, some decent building blocks, make that stronger. Um, and uh, you've got a couple of, of free agent veteran guards. As I've said before, I really, really hope that the team doesn't just, you know, say, oh, we know those guys, let's re-sign them. I think there's going to be potentially some really interesting players um, at the guard position. Even some rumors of guys like uh, Kalechi Assembly from the Raiders being a cap casualty. I don't know if we'll talk about that stuff later, but you know, if you can get a really another really quality player, think about what Dwayne Brown has done to that offense. And uh, you know, you add another quality player at guard. I'm pretty bullish on what what the offense can do and and how opponent independent they can be if uh, they really have a solid offensive line. Yeah. Hard to argue with that. Evan, we'll finish this with you. And don't say head coach. We're only talking about their roster. Yeah, no, I'll switch it up, actually. I would say, you know, looking outside, 
for sure there, you know, there's some really amazingly talented pass rushers hitting the open market. I think there's some potential there with receiver, even a little bit um, running back even has some cool names in it. But I, I, I really think like the biggest priority Seattle has entering this off season is actually retaining some key franchise players that are currently in house. Um, people don't realize this. We're talking Russell Wilson extension. Okay. Well, the Russell Wilson extension is big. So people are probably focused on that, but like Bobby Wagner, Jaron Reed is entering the third year of this deal, had a massive year this, you know, this year with 10.5 sacks for a DT run stuffing DT. That's super impressive. Frank Clark, you know, is obviously about to hit free agency. He is somebody that Seattle absolutely has to keep around. Um, but to answer your question more succinctly, I really think the pass rushing talent is super impressive this year on the open market. I don't think we've seen something like this in a long, long time. You know, you have Ezekiel Anza, Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavian Clowney, Sue. You have a ton of really good pass rushers hitting the market. And if Seattle, and I'll tell you this right now, I, I have an off-season article coming out on Monday that gets into this, but Seattle has the cap space to afford a premium pass rushing talent in addition to Frank Clark and extending, you know, all those key in-house free agents. So um, I, I say to answer your question is pass rusher. I'd love a one-two punch with Frank Clark. Um, that's kind of the cliche answer, but um, Seattle has a lot of stuff to to focus on this offseason. They got some big extensions some big situations to address. And I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. So I, I edited Evan's article last night. He's got a really cool article coming out next week, kind of running through all the big decisions that's going on. But quickly, just for those who don't know, I'm going to quickly run through the list of all the guys that Seattle has that are unrestricted. And this list might strike you as pretty surprising. Brian hit on a lot of needs. So quickly, I'm looking at the over the cap website. And it runs through the highest position guy based on who makes the most money. So we got Earl Thomas, he's almost a forgotten man, KJ Wright, Sebastian Janikowski, Justin Coleman, Shamar Stefan, Dion Jordan, Nico Thorpe, J.R. Sweezy, DJ Fluker, Frank Clark, Mike Davis, Mo Alexander, Michael Kendricks, Joey Hunt is not on that list. He's an RFA. So that's a, that's a lot of guys there. A lot to take in at once. What was that? Nine starters almost? nine roster players. So let's kind of shift this conversation to those guys because that's a lot of names. Evan didn't mention they're able to do the to re-up a lot of guys, and that's not even including the guys who are up next year, Russell, Bobby, Jaron Reed's due for a contract soon. So just focusing on these 2018, 2019 free agents, we'll go back to you, Evan, since you're pretty keyed in to that article. We'll go with a couple a multi-part question. On that list, who's the one guy you really want to see them sign, and who's the one guy you really don't want to see them sign? You're talking about like you're talking about, yeah, pending free agents. Um, guy, I really want to see them excite or ex, you know extend. Um, I think the absolute must is Frank Clark. I think that's an easy answer. You have to keep him in the fold. Pete Carroll said it on 710 with Brock and Sock like a million times. They're not going to let Frank Clark leave. I think that's the correct decision. Even if you have to tag him, whatever, just just get him in here long-term. Please do not leave, let him leave. Um, guy I would like them not to sign. This might be kind of hot takey. Maybe not. It's KJ Wright. Um, you know, this team went 10-6 and six without him this year. He, he was – He's obviously a good player. He, you know, he, he's a contributor when healthy, but 
he's kind of getting up there in age. And I was really impressed with um, Michael Kendricks, you know, when he, when he filled in in his replacement. And I know Michael Kendricks has a ton of legal issues that he's facing. I think just today we saw that, uh, you know, his court date was delayed till April or May or something like that. But depending on the outcome of that situation, I think, I think I'd rather roll with Shaquem and, and Michael Kendricks. I, I don't feel, I, I just don't feel like extending KJ Wright is the right decision. And I don't have a ton of, to back that up, but I, I just rather roll younger at that position. And I think KJ, KJ had an interesting quote recently where he was like, you know, Seahawks haven't really talked extension with me yet, but you know, I want to be respected and money equals respect. So, you know, I, I think he could really get a good sum in free agency. And I, I am honestly hoping it's not with Seattle. Do any of you guys disagree on KJ? Not me. I, I think it would be a mistake to keep him. Yeah, same here. Yeah, given his age, his injury history, and the need to get younger at that position, hard to disagree. So for the rest of you guys, we'll go to Brian now. Let's let's leave Frank Clark out of this because I think we're we're all assuming he's going to be brought back on on the tag. I think it's kind of a so I think wind happens. So leaving Clark out of this, Brian, who's the guy you want them to resign and don't want them to resign? Yeah, um, so Justin Coleman's the one for me that's the most cloudy, and you're talking about a 26 year old slot corner who's played well for the Seahawks was one of Schneider's better trades uh, in his time here. And I think that he'll have some market. And I don't think it's a guarantee the Seahawks are going to get him back. If you don't bring him back, there is not an obvious guy to step in um, and play that nickel corner. And now you've created another need beyond even like, uh, you know, the starting corners um, where we already said we want to add some competition. So that's the guy I would love to, for them to find a way to bring back young enough, talented enough, um, Wish he was better at tackling, uh, although he did improve on the year, um, I, I, I think uh, I noticed. As far as the guy that I would like them to not bring back, I'll, I'll go a different direction since KJ, I think we're all in agreement. Um, man, this is a tough one. I, I'd like them to let DJ Fluker go. And I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback from fans because how could you not love DJ Fluker on the Seahawks? His energy, his passion, the way he played, uh, how tough he was, how much of a difference it was when he was in the lineup. But here's my reason. Um, he, I, I think he's got a lot of injuries that are not injuries that just get better with time. I think he is going to constantly be in and out of the lineup. I think that he is going to command enough of a premium that based on, I think, playing a pretty good, playing reasonably well last year, that I just would rather them find another guard. Uh, there's, I think there's other veteran guards out there that are going to be in similar price ranges um, that I'd be more interested in them bringing to, to Seattle. So that's, that's one that I'm sure a lot of folks uh, will disagree with me on. So is that something you would rather upgrade with another veteran or bring back maybe Jordan Simmons and have him go at that right guard position? I think I think we everyone was a little bit quick on the Jordan Simmons bandwagon. I mean, certainly he the Seahawks were able to run the ball well when he was there, but he did not play through his whole college career due to injury. Then he gets two games into his pro career and cannot play due to injury. So 
I think betting on that kind of player is not wise. I think absolutely bring him in. Hopefully that he gets healthy and you can compete, but you cannot rely on that. Um, I think you've got to go veteran on the offensive line. And something I've said for a while, for multiple years now, I think the Seahawks were absolutely right early on in saying publicly a lot of times, hey, colleges are not preparing offensive linemen for the NFL the way they used to. It's harder to find them. It's harder to develop them. That was all true. But what they missed was the next logical connection, which is to say, okay, if it's going to be harder to find good linemen and it's going to take longer to develop them, then veteran linemen become more valuable. And I, I think that people that are already trained and can already step in and they really went, you know, bargain hunting with Bradley Sowell and Jamarcus Webb back in during that free agent period. That was the last offseason where there's a lot of these good offensive veteran linemen available. And they they missed out. They missed out on a chance to really solidify the line. So there's a number of pretty decent veteran offensive linemen that are going to be available this offseason. I think there's going to be more after cap cuts. So, um, yeah, that that's why I think uh, I'd like to see them add to the pile there. Well, that's an interesting opinion. And we'll dig into kind of the free agent targets we might look at from other teams later. But just around the sound, Nathan, how about you? Uh, I mean, I think a big one that I would love to see back is Earl. I, I don't know that that's realistic, um, either because I don't, I don't know if he wants to come back. I don't know if they want him to come back, and uh, his price point might not really be uh, – I, I don't know. He, he's had a couple injuries now. I don't know that I want to pay a ton for him, but they if they could find something reasonable to bring him back, that'd be pretty amazing. Um, and then the other one that is also maybe not super realistic uh, for bringing back is Michael Kendricks. Um, we'll see what his sentencing – um ends up looking like and all that but uh i was really impressed with him i think that they performed quite a bit better with him on the field and um if he's another guy if he can come back at something similar to what he came here for this year um that would really round out the linebacking crew pretty nicely yeah earl earl's an interesting one because that was going to be my answer i don't think it's realistic from john schneider's perspective and based on how they've handled it but given their problems at free safety and kind of the Super Bowl window, they've kind of taken a step forward. I And how, how else do you fill that position? And I, I'd be happy to pay Earl based on the amount of cap room they have. And Evan will get into that later, kind of digging into their cap situation. But why not pay Earl? I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with reasons not to want to bring him back, especially since they, they're not probably going to get a comp pick for him. Evan, is this the cap number the problem or the age? Why not bring back Earl? Yeah, I was going to on this. I, I don't think extending Earl has anything to do with a, with a skill thing. Like people like to com- compare the Earl situation to the camp situation. I think that is so insanely wrong. Like Cam, when they extended him, his body was breaking down. Like we knew that Cam was not like stable skill wise we could see the trajectory although slow like the trajectory was not good with earl i don't think the trajectory's going down from a skill perspective like free safeties i i bet earl thomas could play at a high level for another three maybe four years like i i think earl thomas is that much of a stud so i i think to answer your question it's not a skill issue i don't even think it's a money issue I think it's like a team, a team chemistry issue. I, I think it's a, I think it's a, how do I put this? I think it's a team issue. Like it's an emotional issue. Like 
like, you know, there's so much, I don't want to say drama, but kind of like controversy around his whole situation. I don't want to say there's like bad blood, but it to commit that type of money to a player, you have to absolutely be sold on, you know, his mentality within the team, how he gets along with executives. Like, you know, an exec's not going to pay him 15 million a year if they don't like him, you know, they don't get along internally. And I'm not saying they absolutely don't. It's just, I don't, I don't, I think my, I think my answer is this. I don't think it's a money or a skill issue. I don't think it's either. I, I want to jump in on that one because uh, I have a different read of it. I, I, what I see is I think, I think Earl would come back. I think Earl does want to be paid top dollar. I don't think it's about um, bad blood. I think it's about the fact that John, especially John Schneider, has decided he does not want to give out third contracts if at all possible. And I think that he's looked at, I mean, Cam Chancellor is due to be the second or third highest paid safety in the NFL next year. <laughs> like, like they made some bad decisions on how they structured third contracts and so, they're paying for it dearly. My question is this then, are we going to extend Bobby Wagner? If, if that's, if that's the deal, like that's what I'm talking about. That's what Nathan and I were talking about. I don't think they will. And, and, and I think maybe they do. Cause Bobby's been like, you know, picture of health. He has not had any of the injury issues that have started to crop up for Earl. Um, I think it is worth mentioning that is part of it. You haven't heard Bobby ever utter the words retirement. Um, I think, look, I know a lot of people disagree with this, but if I was a GM and I'm looking oh, for boy, here we go. money on a player and you've got a guy in Earl who has said publicly, thinking about retirement after he got hurt. And then, you know, he talks about that he wants security because look what happened to his friends, Cam and Richard down in Arizona last year. To me, the interpretation of that is he wants guaranteed money. So if he gets hurt again, he can walk away. That's what I hear. And, and like, that doesn't sound like a player who's like eager to play no matter what. And if you're going to sink that many millions into somebody, that's a big risk. So I know people don't want to hear it, but I, I, I think that there's a risk that Earl would just walk away if he got hurt again. And he's got hurt the last few years. So here's a question because the, the camp contract was bad, regardless if it was a third contract, the fourth contract, the second contract. They made a misevaluation on Michael Bennett from just a, a talent perspective. Maybe there was a locker room issue. That, in hindsight, looks like a pretty good third contract, doesn't it? Do you think that might change their thinking at any any means? That well, that was kind of a weird third contract, though, right? I mean, or was it technically a fourth contract? Because he had the one-year deal, and how did that all work out? Did it, was it was it a? I think. Are you talking about his fifth-year option? No, Bennett signed, I think, the end of the 2016 season. So he must have signed. He signed the one-year deal, and then he must have signed another, and then in the technically, yeah, yeah. yeah, third. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It seems like if, if they want to just make a blanket rule of no third contracts, you're going to have some Michael Bennett's in there, and hopefully um, you <laughs> – You'll, you'll offset that with better returns than what they got from Michael Bennett. Um, but, you know, this is the old Eagles thing, right? Like forever ago where, or, and I think Belichick has it now is, is you know, you want to trade the guy a year too early than a year too late. 
right? And so if they if they adopt that and they stick to it and they actually trade these guys, I mean, w- what was the rumors around Sherman? A first or a second back in 2016 when they were talking about trading him? Uh, you know, Earl was a second. You know, they could have gotten some legit returns from these guys. I bet you get a first or a second for Bobby, right? And so as long as you're not sending away the Michael Bennett's for a fifth and, you know, a special teams wide receiver guy that you end up cutting, uh, I think it's probably the it's probably an okay way to go. Can we all agree that one of the weirdest and maybe one of the worst personnel decisions the Schneider and Carroll have made has been Earl Thomas? I mean, what in the world? What in the world? If you weren't going to sign him, then friggin' trade him. Like, get a draft pick. I, I would be honest. I think the Michael Bennett situation is even weirder. You think so? Yeah, because I'll, I'll tell you why. Michael Bennett signed a three-year, $31.5 million contract in December of 2016. Do you know how freaking cheap that is for like a defense, like a pass rusher, like somebody as talented as Michael Bennett, the pressures, the, the sacks that he puts up at $10 million a year? That's a joke of a contract. And then to trade him a year later, that to me, the contract aspect of that makes no sense to me. The compensation makes no sense to me. Yes, the Earl Thomas situation is really, really strange. It's like a mystery of the world. But I, I think the Michael Bennett thing is even worse. I don't get it. Didn't we get like, uh, you know, Dixon out of that? <laughs> yes, they ended up trading up with the pick they got to get Dixon, I think. No, I mean, at least you get something. You got you got a Hall of Fame punter for, for, for Michael Bennett. You get a kick in the crotch for Earl Thomas. Like, you're lucky. Like, that's as much as you're going to get. Like, what? There is no sense. If you knew you were going to – at least Bennett, they knew they were going to get rid of him. So they got rid of him. Yeah, but now you all – you all three of you mentioned pass rusher as the number one need a year oh, later. I get – like, so the qu- questionable whether they should have gotten rid of him. I get that. Yeah. But at least they, like, made a decision and they went for it. With Earl, like, what could they possibly been thinking that, like, they were going to compete for the Super Bowl this year, and so it was worth keeping him around? And I mean, I mean, that was the, that was the rumor, though. That was the report, right? That they wanted to see how they would do against the Rams with Earl. So yeah, they they thought they had. They, I mean, they had big aspirations, and you know, it looks a lot sillier now at this point in the season. Uh, but silly it, the whole time, Nathan. You and no, I, I. I'm not saying I like. <laughs> totally. It looks, it, it's terrible because it's not just about this year, right? It's about building your franchise and year after year and winning forever and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I was screaming all along that they needed to trade him um, because of this exact situation. And if you're not going to keep him, you know, invest in your team and make sure you have something rolling forward and not, don't leave yourself with four draft picks when you're trying to stock up on talent again. And they did it right after they did it with Sherman too, right? Mm-hmm. Sherman was going – they wanted, what, a first or two seconds for Sherman? He, I, I remember reading Miami off of Jarvis Landry the year before for Sherman straight up, and then a year later they cut him for nothing. I mean, so that's, it's really – you know what this trend is, though? It, this is about this team making win-now decisions, too many win-now decisions. Trading for Sheldon, trading for Dwayne Brown, that one worked out. Trading for Jimmy, trading for Percy, not trading Sherman, not trading Earl. This is all about the team 
trying to do it all like now and not thinking enough about the future. That's, so that's, that's, that's an awful lot like the Pete Carroll philosophy of win forever, doesn't it? Huh? Huh? Yeah, but more often than not, it's win now. <laughs> I guess I would say I think that this is a legitimate criticism of Pete Carroll in that Pete, it's not about win for he says it's about win forever, but he is so optimistic and he so sees the the upside of every person in every situation that he does not account for risk. And he does he he's he will tell you he's been told never make a fear-based decision. Well, that's fine, but you have to think ahead. You have to look, mitigate risk, or else your probability of coming out on the plus side um, long-term just reduces. So he got, I think Pete got into a situation where both he was not mitigating risk by getting rid of players, and, you know, he was he was, you know, holding on to guys uh, without letting other people come up underneath them to push them out. So like, I don't know. He, I think he shot himself in the foot and I, I do think that he has an overly optimistic perspective on personnel. And, and I, I wish John Schneider, if he hasn't already would have more authority there. Yeah. And that's why I do think, I think Earl Thomas signing is almost the right move because if they just let him walk for nothing, the whole thing seems kind of pointless and just a huge wasted opportunity. But yeah, I want to build on something you guys were just talking about the win now decisions the the fun trades we were that was kind of grim so let's move to more a fun segment antonio brown has been uh, the talk of the nfl and anytime a player of his nature or his status comes available every single fan base in the world makes the same thing i can tell you from writing nationally anytime a tr- thing like this happens every single fan thinks their team should get them it happens in every city in the nfl so evans struggling to stay awake here or ready to explode one of the two we'll move to him i know you want a lot of offense you want a passing game would you trade and make a win now trade for antonio brown trading for antonio is not a win now trade it's an implode now trade that's what it is stop okay. fantasizing about trading for antonio brown antonio brown loves targets Antonio Brown loves 200 receiving yard games. Antonio Brown loves three touchdown games. Who does this sound like? Hmm. I like getting the ball a lot as a big tight end in the end zone. Hmm. You really think this is Jimmy Graham's situation, but like extrapolated to an even higher level. After every single game, when Antonio Brown gets three targets and 22 yards, we're going to say, why are we paying this guy so much? Why aren't we throwing him the ball? And it's going to be Jimmy Graham situation 2.0. Stop it. Stop it. He does not fit in this offense. He does not fit in this team. This team runs the ball. Antonio Brown would be wasted in this offense. Stop it. It's not happening. What are they rumored to be trading for him? Do you know, what, what's, what's the rumor? Anybody? The rumor is that the Steelers aren't shopping him, right? Isn't that what I, I think that's the latest I heard is that they're just like, we're not engaging in trade talks. Wasn't there I, some story though about the Seahawks being a you know a team that was looking at him and was there? Any I, I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of real solid stuff on it. It was it was kind of misleading headlines. I think uh, clickbait. I didn't click on it. 
Yeah. There's a lot of 49ers talk. I think Jerry Rice said that Brown badly wants to play in San Francisco. I think that was. Well, yeah, I, I so we, we, yeah, he had a FaceTime call with his boy Antonio Brown, and he said that he really wants to play for the 49ers. I, I think that's a heck of a lot more likely than him coming to Seattle and would make more sense. I agree with Evan. I don't think that this is a if you're a diva receiver and you want to get the ball a lot, this is not a team to, <laughs> to, to get that. Uh, I mean, we saw what the difference was when Golden Tate was here versus what he was in Detroit, which is a, a, a more high volume passing offense. He was a pro bowler, you know, and and I think if you had Doug Baldwin go from this team to like a Patriots team or something like that, I think Doug Baldwin would be putting up 110 catches a, a year. Like, I, I think he's that good and he's been suppressed a little bit by this offense. So. Yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I'm not a big fan like of of trading for more veteran receivers at all, and especially trading what probably be draft picks and young cheap talent for old expensive talent. Like I just don't think that. Um, but it's also interesting. I don't know related to this a little bit. I don't know if you heard Golden Tate's interview, his kind of exit interview with the Eagles, but they were saying like, "What? Where would you go?" And he's basically saying, "I'm." I don't have that many more years left. I want to go where I can win. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I hear a player say that, I don't think that's Seattle in most players' minds right now. Would you anyone disagree with that? Where a player's like, yeah, Seattle is just me away from being a Super Bowl contender. Hell no. I mean, they're not top of the list, at least, right? I, I think that you can go to Seattle and hope to win, but I don't think you can go to Seattle and expect to win Super Bowls right now. It says something, guys. I mean, but I mean, we know where this team is, right? I mean, yeah. If you're ring hunting, this isn't the place for you. But like, I, I don't think that's a indictment necessarily of Seattle or where they are. But isn't that like Jeff? I mean, isn't that like, isn't that the the ultimate question here? Like, I think we all believe that the Seahawks with some moves not anything crazy could replicate what they did this year. Like, you know, maybe get between, you know, nine to 11 wins, get into the playoffs, do a little something. Um, I think the Seahawks are in real jeopardy of being caught short of contender status for many years. Like this is a, this is a tough, off season to strategize like what do you do do you do you trade a bunch of guys you get rid of a bobby wagner while he still has value do you get rid of like do you cut a bunch of guys and try to get draft picks and try to i don't know like i don't think it's a clear path of how this team goes from what it is now to being a true contender what does that say about coaching oh god no i'm serious no i'm serious but like i'm, I'm not i'm not being hot takey but like as a fan, like don't you want direction? Don't you want like it's you not coaching though? It's personnel. It's it's you have good players that cost a lot of money, and you can only have so many of them, and some of them are aging, and you've got to turn over your roster. And no matter how good you are, you're not going to find Hall of Fame, All Pro level players every draft. You're just not. So like it is hard. The NFL is made to not keep teams on. Oh. 
So I don't think it's like, oh, this is clearly a coaching thing. I think if anything, I would say it's a personnel thing more. Yeah, and I, I kind of, I definitely agree with that. And I know we spent a lot of time debating Pete Carroll and Nathan would be a good guy to chime in on this next thing I'm going to say, because I saw him talking about it on Twitter today. How do we feel about John Schneider right now? I know we all like him as the guy running the team, but when we look at where the team is and we mentioned the Percy trade, the Bennett trade, the Hart, the Graham trade, do we overrate him? Nathan. <laughs> Did he freeze? He's just so stunned by the question. Did I blow his mind there? <laughs> I think we lost. on tilt. He's still smiling. I love how like I'm gonna see if I can make him like the uh the screen here. Hold on. <laughs> Everybody. No, oh, he's gone. Never mind. Oh no. Dang it. Mind. Uh Evan, what okay. about you, dude? You're you are a dyed in the wool John Schneider fan. What's your response to Jeff? I think that's a really good question. Do we overrate him? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. But I, I will say this. I think John Schneider, when he takes an L, they're like really big L's. <laughs> like they're not really small L's. Like he takes big losses. Like you could name a bunch of trades, you know, Sheldon, Percy, Jimmy Graham, losing Max under Max Unger. Like the L's are big. Like Cam, Cam Chancellor extension was bad. I think even at the time we were like kind of like, you know, shaky about that thing. Um, but at the same time, like we were tweeting about this the other day. Like I think he's had some fairly decent hits as of recently. You know, we have Frank Clark, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, um, David Moore, Will Disley. You know, a ton of a ton of. I, I can't think of the list off at the top of my head. But like, if you look at recent drafts, they're not bad like they're okay that's i don't think that's bad like I, I don't think you can expect a gm to like you know nail three to four starters every single year i don't think that's i don't think that's reasonable so i think he's done a, a fair fairly decent job in the past few years definitely nothing close to you know the first three to four years of his tenure but you could probably chalk that up to scott mclaughlin or um, pete carroll you know yeah i think the first three years was just a perfect storm of having McLe McLuhan running pro scouting. Pete Carroll knew the college talent pool inside now. Like they don't and, get Richard Sherman. And one thing I want to put on that as a fan, we shouldn't expect, we shouldn't like hold them to that expectation no, level because like, you know, so many fans started following the team, like in the early 2010s, like, like that is not normal. That's literally like maybe the best stretch of, you know, drafting in like NFL history for like two to three years. So I, I, I think holding that them to that standard is really unrealistic. Yeah. And I think that's a problem in Twitter overall. Like I see every year, like they wasted a third round pick on Nick Finette or they wasted a third round pick on Odiombo or something. And then you look at the history of like a late comp pick third round picks. They mostly wash out, and I know analytics Twitter is big, and like the third round pick is the gold. If you look at the, like a lot of the guys that went in those zones where Vanette went, most of those guys have washed out of the league. So I think that was a good point. We gotta kind of be realistic about what you can expect in a, a draft like last year, where they get a lot of contributions outside of that terrible first pick. 
that's a really good draft. But I think overall, I think what Brian was saying is interesting. I think this is a really defining year for Schneider. Mm, I think it's yeah. a year where you kind of need hits. They only have four picks. They have a lot of free agent decisions, and they're gonna for them to jump to contender status. They're gonna need a hit big on some of these free agents. So, do you guys see it like that? I mean, jump in on. Well, I'm getting okay. Uh, the Schneider piece. I think you can make a case that he's underrated, um, and the <clears throat> case that he's overrated. So, like. The story has basically been 2010, 2011, 2012 were home run drafts, and then he's just been trash since then. I would say 2013 was a trash draft. Everybody had a trash draft in 2013. It was one of the worst years of drafting in the history. He loves that draft, though. Like, it was so bad. So I throw that one out. I don't think Schneider was any better or any worse than anyone else. 2014, um, you know, yep. That was not a good draft. It, it didn't work out. There was things. 2015, they got two, what I think are essentially all pro players. Frank Martin. Really a wash though. Like Paul Richardson and Justin Britt ended up being like pretty decent, serviceable players. Yeah, no, that's that. I don't have it up in front of me. That's a good point, Evan. I, I and you could look at 2016. There's there's you know. Uh, Aaron Reed. Yeah, there's there's some promising pieces there, and then. 2017, um, you know, the Malik McDowell thing, a disaster, but, you know, th there's some players there. And 2018 was solid. Like, I don't think – I guess when you look at a draft, which I think is way more important than how you do in free agency, I think Schneid, I think the way you judge a draft, if you can come out of there with one Pro Bowl-level player or one All-Pro-level player and everything else misses – that's a successful draft from my point of view. In almost all situations, if you can get a, an elite player, elite talent, I believe, is what wins in the NFL. And he's got a decent track record. I mean, I think re, you can look at almost every draft, and there's somebody that is going to be a hall, you know, not a Hall of Famer, a, a Pro Bowler or a, an All Pro. And that's not easy. On the flip side, though, you know, I think he's made some really horrible gambles. Mm. That's where I see him shooting. If he hadn't traded for Jimmy, if he hadn't traded for Percy, if he hadn't done the the Bennett trade, the, the big name trades, I think have almost all gone the wrong way. Dwayne Brown is the one that comes out is like, okay, that worked out. But the smaller trades are the ones that have been good. It's not like he's bad at all trades. Trading for Chris Clemens, sitting at the end of Philadelphia's bench one of Seahawks, Seahawks all-time sack leaders trading for Marshawn Lynch for a fourth round pick. Like I've, <laughs> that worked out pretty well. Um, you know, I, I think some of Justin Coleman was a great get. Like, so like, I think it's when they try to go big, as Evan was saying, like the big ones on the trade side, that's where I would give him the most criticism. Um, I, I think from a draft perspective, I would bet he's better than, 80% of the NFL GMs out there, if not more. Yeah. We often forget that John Schneider totally swindled Bill Belichick in that trade for Cassius March for Justin Coleman. Like, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, agreed. You know, not huge names, but Justin Coleman, you know, probably like a top five slot corner in the NFL, 
will probably make a good amount of money in this free agency. What they give, like a seventh round pick and Cassius Marsh, like you know, that's pretty good. Can you imagine the uh, locker room picture of Schneider that uh, Cable Santos would be tweeting out after that trade? I'm <laughs> making you uncomfortable, Nathan. What do you think of John Schneider, Nathan? He's fine. Um, I, we're glossing over a lot of bad. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess we're not really glossing over because we talked about it a lot. Like they're in a really bad spot because of all these trades that they made that were really short-sighted. And some of them were, you know, kind of obviously bad from the get-go. Like we knew Percy had issues. We knew Sheldon was on the last year of his contract. Um, so you didn't mention he, that Jimmy Graham one was a bad trade. I, I don't think the Jimmy Graham trade was good. I think Jimmy Graham was a good player. <laughs> but I think <laughs> no, but I think trading a first round pick and a good center uh, yeah. for you know an expensive tight end that you couldn't figure out how to utilize super well. Um, no, I wouldn't call that a good trade. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think he's fine. I, I, I think that if if you, you can't just take away before like 2012 and before, but if, if you look at post 2012, um, I, I don't think you put him in the top 20% of GMs. I, don't, I, I think he's, you know, maybe lucky to be top half. Hmm. Wow. I, I mean, I, I'm not asking you to do it here, but I'd be super interested to see the the GMs that you feel like have been consistently better than Schneider over that period of time. Like well, I don't I know that there's a lot of, that there's a, that there are some, I just, I'm surprised you think it's that many. Well, and I, I think a lot of these guys are kind of the same and I think Schneider got really lucky, um, which isn't really an insult. Like, but like that 2012 draft, that was a lucky draft, right? Like the Legion of Boone coming together with a bunch of late round picks. Like that's not like something that you can do over and over again. And so you can give him a lot of credit for it, but it's also not something that you can expect him to replicate. And so I, I think he's kind of, he's just a guy. Like he's done some good stuff. The the Frank Clark pick, um, which again was a little lucky. I mean, that, that had a lot of circumstances around it right the domestic violence thing that caused him to drop way down into the end of the second round or wherever he was in the second round um so that that was you know him pouncing on an opportunity um but you know there's other stuff too with the, the locket contract and stuff like that that's starting to look really good but I, I don't know it's not that stellar of a track record since the early couple years yeah and Brian mentioned the Vaquito great draft is hitting on those Hall of Fame kind of players. Look at their history with first round picks. Mm. Right? They haven't hit on one since Earl? Is Bruce Irvin hit? They need to stop trading I'm tired of it. So, yeah, all that, that's a good point. That helps me move on to the next thing I want to talk about. Is this we haven't really hit on what we want the Seahawks to really do other than the position they need to get better at. So right now they only have four draft picks, which is kind of alarming considering all the needs we're gonna talk about in the next couple of minutes. They have four draft picks. Evan, what's their cap situation? Yeah, so that's a question. Um so Seattle looking into twenty or looking into the looking into this offseason. So right now they have about um, 52 million in adjusted cap space. What that means is 
So in the off season, there's this NFL rule called the top 51 rule where basically it's a rule enlisted by the CBA, um, which says that NFL teams only have to account for their top 51 contracts, um, you know, by total cost, um, their cap hits in the off season. So they don't have to stay. They only account for those being under the cap, if that makes sense. Um, so they've got about 52 mil there, which is a ton of money. Um, there's several situations that are really interesting that can open up a ton of space. The biggest one is Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor, and I go into this in my article on Monday, but like Cam Chancellor has some really interesting injury guarantees in his contract. And the specific language of his specific contract, you know, his his injury guarantees exercise depending on whether he can pass a physical at the start of the new league year. So we don't really have a ton of insight into Cam Chancellor's neck and how his body's looking right now and everything like that. But if Cam Chancellor can pass a physical by the team doc, his injury can, like, and he's deemed able to play, you know, on a physically healthy level, he's not injured. His injury guarantees will not exercise for his 2019 base salary. That's a big, big deal for the Seahawks because we're talking the difference between 2.8 million in cap space. If he fails his physical, the injury guarantees exercise. It protects him. It protects his 2019 base salary. It's like a portion of it. I think it's like 6.8 mil. If he can't, if he does pass that physical, Seattle can cut him as healthy. The injury guarantees don't exercise. And it's like an additional 10.2 or 10.5 million cap space. I forget which one it is. So that would raise the number right there to 62 million. So we're not just dealing with 52 million. We're dealing with 62 million. Then you've got a couple other contracts that are, I think, you know, really easy potential cuts that I also go through in the offseason article is and list the names real quickly. Ed Dixon plays. You serviceable this year. Actually had a decent connection with Russell, you know, on some key third downs in the red zone. Was actually kind of impressed by Ed Dixon this year. But depending on Will Disley's, you know, recovery, we'll evaluate that. Up, you know, opens up a couple million. Um, the biggest one is Mingo, really underperformed this year. Jacob Martin really stole his role towards the end of the season. Um there was some stat I found where he averaged like less than 20 snaps in like the last six or eight games of the season. And Jacob Martin was just like totally stealing his role. So I think, I think, Oh, you know, cutting Mingo was like 2.5 or 3 million in safe space. I think that's a no brainer. You don't pay three, you know, you don't pay $5 million a year. That was his cap hit for 2019. So um, I think he's an easy cut. Jacob Martin is promising young and I, I think he has some potential. Um, the third one, oh, Jaron Brown. That was Brian's um, uh, offer. You know, he cutting him would net another couple million. Long story short, we're dealing with like somewhere between fifty-five million and like seventy million in adjusted cap space. And once again, what that means is Seattle does not have to account for all top fifty-five players in the offseason under their salary cap. They only account for the top 51 most expensive contracts. So, you know, considering all these big extensions that the Seahawks have to do, Russell Wilson, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, Bobby Wagner, you know, Justin Coleman, G.J. Fluker, J.R. Sweezy will make pennies. But, like, you know, all those guys, if they want to bring in a premium pass rushing talent, Seattle has money to work with. And the one key point I want to hit home on this is – when they are extending key players and you hear these big ass numbers in the media, like, you know, 35 million average per year, 20 million average per year. 
NFL contracts are not structured. So it's like $21 million every single year. You know what I mean? It's like the contracts gradually rise in, in cap hit as the years go on. They're backloaded. The money is backloaded. This is good for NFL teams. My point is Seattle has a freaking ton of cap space, even moving beyond 2019. You know, 2020, they're looking at 110 plus million. Like they have so much flexibility over the next few years. They have a ton of money, a ton of different directions they can go in. Long story short, money is not a problem right now. <laughs> All right. That was like the speech Will Ferrell gave in the debate scene in old school. Evan might have just blacked out. Basically, what he meant to say, Seattle has a lot of cap space. The top 10 in the league, I believe, in cap space. Cam Chancellor could open up more. And with just four draft picks again, they can be very active in free agency for the first time in a while. So Brian asked us to kind of dig into the free agent list and look for targets that kind of fit their needs and guys that kind of fit what Seattle's done in the past. So Brian, we'll start with you. You mentioned defensive line. You've mentioned guard. Who are two guys that jumped out to you looking at the free agent list that you think are good fits? Um, we're talking about guys that are going to be unrestricted free agents. We're talking about potential rumored cap casualties as well. Either way, either way, two guys you're really interested in. Hmm. I was supposed to be prepared for this one, I know. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a few names. I think um, uh, a couple that, that may not be as well-known or at least as discussed. So I think Christian Covington is an interesting name, defensive tackle uh, for the Texans. Uh, young player, I think he's 25. Um, I think has a lot of upside, good run defender, Good has some good pass rush to him as well. Uh, and I think is... You know, he's probably a B-list free agent. I think could could uh, could be someone that you could have, and you add another playmaking defensive tackle next to Jaron Reed. I think that's a really interesting. Assuming you're also going to get Frank Clark back, uh, another name that would be uh, much higher priced, and we'll see what happens with Atlanta is Grady Jarrett. Um, so I know a lot of people have talked about Jadavian Clowney, and it's fine, but I, you know. I think there might be some defensive tackles that are worth looking at. I think Jarrett was actually one of, for people that are fans of advanced analytics, they've been paying attention to Grady Jarrett, but he does not light up the the classic stat board quite as much. I think he's one of the top five to seven defensive tackles in the NFL last year, and and um, you know he's going to be a free agent. Atlanta's going to try to create space. That's an interesting one, and. I'll throw, I'll just go all defensive tackle here for fun. Um, you know, I think uh, Jared McCoy is rumored to be a cap casualty in, in Tampa Bay. He'd be a perfect addition where you're not going to have to commit long-term dollars to him. He's, you know, on the downside of his career for sure at his age, but this guy has been one of the most dominant defensive tackles in the league and he definitely has something left. So you know, you put him next to, to Reed, I think that that's a really interesting core to your interior line. So those are three guys. I can go on about some offensive linemen and other stuff as well if they don't get named, but those are three guys I'd start with. Those are interesting because I mentioned earlier, Shamar is a free agent. And if you can turn Shamar into one of those guys and pair them with Puna and Jaron Reed, that's really building on a strength of an area they could really make them jump the next level. So. 
defensive tackle, defensive end, that's areas to watch. Nathan, where do you want to go? Um, well, I think that they need help at wide receiver. Um, and John Brown's a guy that I think could be a really nice fit for them. Um, I, I've liked him for a while. He's had some ups and downs. Um, there's been some um, health stuff, not injury stuff, but just general health stuff with him. Um, but he seemed to put it together with uh, Baltimore and could be a really good fit for this team. Um, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of kind of interesting middle of the road guys, but I wonder if there's not a more interesting use for Seattle's cap space. Like um, we saw Brock Eisweiler get traded for, get traded with a second round pick basically into cap space. Mm. Could Seattle do something similar, like similar to that and maybe take in Joe Flacco and a second round pick or one of these other just bad contracts and, and use it to get a pick and try to put the, the money to work that way. Um, I'm not the cap guy, so I don't know what the realistic scenarios are. there are, but we've seen it. I think uh, there was another situation where I think that happened. It wasn't just Osweiler. So if that's something that the NFL is starting to do, um, I might like that more than spending some money on the next Jerome Brown or the next Ed Dixon or whoever it might be. Yeah, it's pretty telling that a lot of the names Evan mentioned were guys they signed last year. Mm-hmm. So we probably want to be in a scenario where we do avoid that situation because if you're just cutting guys a year later, and we've had the comp pick debate a million times on this show. We like imagine we want to be making better free agent decisions. So Evan, without giving away your article too much, who are guys you're looking at for Seattle? Yeah, obviously we spoke a little bit about pass rusher. Um, you know, this may be fairy tale thinking, but I really would like to see them invest in the kicker position. I'm, we're going on two, three years of, you know, really crappy kicking experiences. Seabass, come on, let's not take them for another year. Please God. Kickers are not super expensive. That's why I don't think people realize people think like top tier kickers are making like eight, nine million. No, they're making like $3 million a year. That, that difference between, like, you know, a crappy one and, like, a really good one, to me, is worth it. I want to feel confident in our kicking situation again. Steven Goskowski, New England Patriot, longtime New England Patriot, is a, is a free agent. Um, that's kind of a weird one to look at, but uh, uh, we, uh, we talked about wide receiver a little bit, too. Golden Tate is an option. Um, one name that actually, Brian, that you brought up that I'd like you to speak about and I dug into a situation a little bit more and was intrigued by him is Tyrell Williams. Mm-hmm. Want to talk about him, Brian? Yeah, I mean, he stood. I was surprised he was a free agent. Um, he he stood out for me this year on the Chargers. He's been a deep threat. I think uh, I think he averaged like 16 yards a reception this year. He's six foot four, um, 205 pounds. He's 26 years old, um, and just played well for the chargers this year. I mean, he, he's, he's not their first or second option, but I think he's an interesting guy to look at. And, you know, he's got, I think five touchdowns on the year could be a guy that you get on the up upswing. And I think six foot four guys that like the deep ball, <laughs> it's a pretty good match with Russell Wilson's, um, you know, skill set. So uh, I think that one is interesting. Yeah, I, I guess that was- 
Yeah, I, mean, just, I don't think he'll demand too much market attention either. I think I think you could get him fairly cheap. You know, I'm not. I wouldn't put a pin a specific number on it, but you probably get him for less than like I don't know four or five million dollars a year. Maybe that's even really high. I don't know. Um, but he's one of the under under the radar receivers that Seattle could add. And you know, one area we haven't really touched on is. Doug Baldwin is what 30 years old now. Isn't that crazy to think about? I, I, whenever I think of Doug Baldwin, I think of his like young 22 year old, like UDFA face of, you know, being a rookie in the league. So Doug Baldwin's getting a little older. Andrews are trying to creep up. Love Doug Baldwin, but I think it's time to start looking for his replacement. Not saying you cut him, but I think you need to start thinking about the next receiver that you pair with Lockett. And I don't think there's somebody in free agency that you replace long-term, you know, as, as that second option or that first option, but there could be like a bridge gap year for, for sticking a receiver in there. So I think, I think the receiver position needs some, needs some attention. I need some attention for a while. I mean, right now you're, I think that they should have done something about it last year. They've had opportunities for a few years now to add some talent there. And now you're at the point where you're kind of hoping and praying that Doug stays healthy and that, or that, you know, David Moore takes that next step, which both are, you know, certainly possible, but I don't think that if you're trying to contend, uh, you know, seriously contend that those are two gambles you want to be making. What do you think about Philip Dorsett? 26 years old. He's a bargain basement guy. That would be kind of fun. Um, he's kind of in that same mold as like a Tyler or a Doug or a John Brown, obviously far less successful. Um, didn't really put it together in new England, which is a little concerning. That's a good place to um, put up some stats, but uh, it, it, he would certainly be cheap. I'd expect. Yeah. I mean, where would you, where Nathan, where would you want them to spend resources? That place you'd want them to spend draft pick, free agent dollars, trade. Like, what's your instinct there? For wide receiver, I'd love to see him take a to, to use a pick. Hmm. Um, I'm not. Uh, I haven't dove into this draft class yet, but like, um, what is it, Hakeem Butler? Um, I, I like him a lot. There's a couple guys out there that are that are interesting. Um, but yeah, I I would like them to maybe think a little longer term at that spot. I think you can do a lot of stuff with like, like a Christian Covington on the defensive line. It's a guy that can step in and, you know, just kind of play and be serviceable and that's fine. Um, I think tight ends a great spot to go um, for a veteran uh, because they have a higher learning curve. Um, and because I don't think this team needs a particularly special tight end to, you know, for the offense to work. Um, and so that's a spot that you could go, uh veteran um and maybe kind of you know another addiction type but um wide receiver i think somebody you try to get somebody that's going to be here um grow with russ and and be here long term question for you one name that we were this is a question for all of you one name that we were excited about last year was dante moncrief you know potentially flying under the radar last year got a little bit more more money than we expected from the jags is somebody is he somebody they could take a flyer on this year I've never been a big fan. He's kind of the same deal as Tyrell Williams, though. Yeah, he is. And so, you know, yeah, last year we talked about him and thought he might be pretty affordable, and then he got, like, 
$10 million. So, um, and then he did like nothing, I think for the Jags pretty much. So maybe he'll be cheap this year. Maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if Moncrief is the cheaper option between him and Terrell Williams. I wouldn't oh, be surprised 100%. if Williams ends up getting that kind of Moncrief deal. Yeah. I think, I think Williams is going to be sought after anyone that's under 27 as a free agent. That's coming off of a good year um, is I mean, that's why Christian Covington is not a household name, but I think he's going to get more money than so, I expect. So just to follow up on that real quickly, Dante Moncrief actually had a better year than I thought he did. He had 668 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, I know that's not great, but like that's better than I thought he had. You know? Who are the examples of these wide receivers that get that like eight to ten million dollars, these middle tier guys, who which one who works out? Who are the success stories there? Golden Tyler uh, Lockett. Well, Tyler Lockett with retain. So I'm just talking about guys that go on the free agent and get paid somewhere else. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, Tate's one. Wes Welker at the time. Well, they traded a second round pick for him. Right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. They went after him. That's a great question. I'm looking at contracts right now. Who? Percy Harvin. Percy Harvin, <laughs> great example. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it feels like oh, every year we see about spending money or trading for a receiver. Like, uh, I just, it's not where I'd spend the money. Uh, I mean, I think Golden Tate's interesting. I don't think he's going to come here. Um, uh, I, I actually think there's some other positions we should talk about as well. Like, That's Jeff, you've talked about linebacker, like Anthony Barr. Um, even a guy like Thomas Davis, who's old and is going to be super cheap, but is pretty damn good still. Like Michael Kendricks, who's pretty cheap. You know, I don't know. I think that's an interesting one. I think offensive line, offensive guard, we should talk about that. Probably one of the biggest needs. Um, yeah. That... So, Brian, you don't want to sign Fluker, correct? Um, my position is I think they can do better. I won't be upset if he ends up coming back at a reasonable deal. Like, I loved having him on the team, but – I will be disappointed if they can't find someone better. Like I'll give you a few names that come out for me. Like Andy Levitri from Atlanta. He's old. He's 33, but he is a pro bowl level guard um, coming off an Achilles injury. He should be super affordable. Um, I don't know if Mike Upati is worth even thinking about at this point. He's old. He has not been great lately, but you know, he's, he's a, he's a strong player. Um, I think uh, Ramon Foster from Pittsburgh is another veteran guard who's been really good, and he's going to be out there and available. Um, you know, I think uh, Eric Cush is a guy who's 29. I would love the Seahawks to look at him. Really strong, younger guard. Um, does not have the injury history of some of these other guys. Um, he's going to be there. Roger Saffold um, from the Rams is going to be a free agent. Um, he's 31. You know, there's a pretty decent list of guys that are going to be guards that are available on the market. Um, Jeff Allen from Kansas city. Um, interesting guy. So those are just a few names that, that kind of jump out to me. And what, what do you think? What do you think about Sweezy? What do you do with him? 
I'd, I'd sign Sweezy. I think his injuries don't project as something that are going to be as chronic or, you know, he had a broken foot. He's going to heal from that. And I think, um, I think Sweezy is a better pass protector than Fluker is. And so I would rather, which I never thought I'd ever say Sweezy is a good pass protector, but he's gotten better. Um, I would keep Sweezy. I think he's a better two-way player as a run and pass blocker. Uh, I don't think he's great, but I think he's, He's a good fit, so I would try to keep him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What my big takeaway from the games this weekend was how good those the four teams that won, and even Philly, how good their offensive lines are. And Seattle, as much as we praise the development all year, watching those four teams, the quarterbacks are great, the passing games are great. But to me, just watching all four of their offensive lines, looking what the Rams did to the Cowboys after Seattle fell in their face against them, that's an area that still needs to get a lot better, in my opinion. And the two guards are a big deal. What they do at right tackle is a big deal. So, yeah, free agency is a big area to me where you can use the guard to get you better because even if they bring those two guys back, can you really expect the same level of performance? Or do you want to go elsewhere? It's, it's a tough decision they have. Well, let me pull, let me pull up a couple stats that um... – Ryan actually gave me – I'm just pulling it from the article, scrolling down real quick. Um, these numbers will kind of shock you with how bad J.R. Sweezy and DJ Fluker were this year. I think early in the year, like maybe it was like this Tom Cable phenomen phenomenon where like we weren't outrage so outrageously bad that like bad was like a huge step up. But, like, I, I want to give you the stat. Out of all guards – and, Brian, is this okay to share this from Pro Football Focus? Yeah. Out of all guards with a 50% snap rate, PFF ranks Sweezy 49th in pass blocking and 51st in run blocking. Under the same criteria, all, out of all guards with a 50% snap rate, Fluker was ranked 18th in pass blocking, which actually was a surprise to me, and 49th in run blocking. You know, I don't know how much credibility we give to pro football focus, but I think they're a reference point, and that's pretty bad. Like, that's bad. I think giving any, I, I think giving either of those guys anything over <sighs> 2 million a year even seems very questionable. Like, I, we can't give those guys big money. Or like medium money or small money. That'd be bad. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I think if you can get the Seahawks offense, I know we have a lot of debates about this, but they were the the fourth highest scoring offense in the NFL and were definitely better when Fluker and Sweezy were in there. I don't think that they were a dumpster fire. I do believe that they had serious um path blocking issues and I don't think they stood up and I don't think either of those guys are great at pass blocking and Fluker especially I think is challenged there but part of the solution to that's not going to be at the guard position I think unless they figure out unless internally they decide to stop being so sunny about Jermaine Effetti and go to George Fant or go to Jamarco Jones I think that's going to continually hold them back almost no matter what they do at the guard position Hmm. So, One of the other things that jumped out to me too is how many ex Seahawks are free agents this year? 
I was going through the list. There was like a portion where there was like four in a row. It was we mentioned Golden Tate. We mentioned our own Carpenter, Golden Tate, Jermaine Curse, Brandon Meebane. There's a ton of them. Marshall well, the retiring, right? Yeah, Bruce Irvin. Luke Wilson. Are any of those guys worth bringing back? Well, I think Carpenter has to be in that discussion of competition for Sweezy or Fluker, right? It's just in in that if you don't want to go with one of those guys, he's a guy that you could kick the tires on. Um, I mean, Luke Wilson's another one. Like uh, he is absolutely nothing special, um, but if he's cheap and you know he can be a serviceable tight end in that mix with Dixon and Disley and Vinette. Like I, I have no problem bringing him back. What about Pierre Desir or Mark Lewinsky? They're both free agents too. Unrestricted. Well, you're going to have to pay for them now. <laughs> yeah. And Indianapolis has like $17 trillion in cash space. Those guys aren't going anywhere. I don't think I would definitely bring them back. I would ha- happily take Desir over Maybe either of our cornerbacks. I, I'm not sure about that, but um, I definitely would like to have him as an option. And Glowinski, yeah, slide him in at guard. He's 26. I mean, that that's a that's a miss. You know, he's he's a he's a quality guard now. They they the Colts fired their offensive line coach though. Like after that team had like maybe the best offensive line in the league this year. Weird. Apparently, Reich in, uh, inherited him and wanted his own guy. I just, the and NFL the, is so dumb sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the Colts' number one personnel guy behind the GM is an ex-Seahawks guy, Ed Dodds. So the fact that they got those guys there is not surprising. They've brought in a lot of Seahawks players. But yeah, that move was very bizarre. Uh, another thing we haven't touched on today, it was a huge story across the country. The Lions hired Daryl Bevel as OC. Um, Bevel was out of the league last year after Seattle fired him. I, I, let's go with Nathan on this one. We'll start with you. How do you think he does outside of Tom Cable now? There was all that weird Cable ran the run game, Bevel ran the pass game. Now that Bevel's in full control of an offense, how do you think he does? I really don't know. Um... I would ex- I, I'm I would be fairly optimistic if I was a Lions fan, um, but I, I I don't know I, I was never in the camp that was particularly impressed by Bevel. I know he's got a lot of fans in Seattle. Um, it's so hard to untangle him and Cable and understand like <laughs> who is doing what and how much did Cable torpedo Bevel. I mean, Russ certainly had you know Russ's best stretch of his career was second half of 2015 and that was bevel um or with bevel anyways and so um i would be optimistic i I would not be mad if i was a lions fan um but i'm excited to kind of watch it from afar and see how that shakes out what about you brian you've been the, the tom cable defender are you a bevel defender too can't believe that is where See, what happens is everybody, like, everybody stands on one side of the boat. So when I stand in the middle, it looks like I'm, like, on the other side of the planet. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think Bevel's fine. I wanted him fired after the Super Bowl. Like, I, 
I think that he was irreparably damaged um, and the team needed him to be gone at that point, that the locker room needed him to be gone, at least to have some kind of scapegoat. I never was super excited about his, <clears throat> his scheme um, or his system. I know there's guys in that locker room that think very highly of him. And I think a lot of people think he is a better play caller and maybe a better offensive coordinator in general than Brian Schottenheimer, which I don't think is unlikely. I don't think that's a super high bar, uh, to be totally honest. But, you know, he seems like a nice guy. Wish him well. I think he's like milk toast. You know, he's like, you know, he's probably he's probably better than 60% of the offensive coordinators in the NFL. So I think he's better than most. But, you know, I would not be super excited to have him as an OC. Can, can I change the subject real quick? I know we were talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one other name, like safety. We all talked about safety being big. What do we think the market's going to be like for Honey Badger and, and whether or not he's an interesting fit? He's 27 to safety, played for Houston this year. Is he a guy that, you know, if you pair him with Bradley McDougal, do you feel better about the Seahawks next year? Oh, Yeah. And I think you can get him at a fairly decent rate too. What was he paid last year? Do you do you have the contract up? Seven million. Yeah, I bet he lands probably around that. I'd feel. Mo- I, I will say this: I'd rather do the Honey Badger than Earl Earl Thomas. What? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. It's it's the it. There is an emotional mentality problem here. I fur are you you cannot tell me there's not bad blood between the Seahawks and Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas fucking flipped off the sidelines. He flipped off Pete Carroll. He flipped off the Seahawks franchise. He flipped off the executives. He flipped off the coaches. He flipped off the players. You cannot tell me there's not bad blood there. Are you kidding me? The Seahawks messed with his checkbook. They messed with his wallet. They messed with his bank account. You cannot tell me there isn't bad blood there. Maybe, but like, who cares? Like, bring him back, pay him. Like, if we're talking about paying like Honey Badger seven or eight million or Earl ten million, like, give Earl a ten. No, no, like, no, no, no. Earl's getting more than ten. I am telling you, I am convinced Earl wants to break that APY number that Eric Berry has yeah. at like thirteen point something. I'm sure he does, but like, is he gonna get that? If he hits the open market, he might. I And see, this is why I think how they handled this entire thing is really unfortunate. And I mean, really, they should have just traded him. And because you're right, he wanted to get paid. And so maybe there was no way around this. But like, I, I suspect Earl's going to get out there and he is not going to find quite the money he like thinks he's going to find. Mm-hmm. And but I, I agree that there is bad blood and I just don't think he'll come back. But um if if this is somehow in a vacuum, like I'm much more interested in paying Earl and trying to smooth over any bad blood that they may have had, of course, than giving Matthew, who I don't know, I personally never been super impressed with Matthew, um, so that's part of it. But uh, yeah, what about someone like Trey Boston, 27, Eric Reed, who I don't know if that'll happen or not, um, you know. Well, and so this is the thing, like, I, I would love to see Earl come back and I would love to see them find, like I said, all, all the stuff I said earlier, right? Find a price point that works for everybody. But that safety market, it's just not 
that lucrative. And I would, if they have to end up going and look for like the next McDougald um, and just kind of maybe waiting out the market and see who kind of slips through the cracks, I think that's not a bad way to go. Um, I mean, they have to do something. Uh, they have to either have somebody that they're targeting relatively high in the draft or, you know, they or a free agent or somebody to come in and compete because uh, Tedrick is not good enough, um, not nearly good enough. Um, but trying to kind of take advantage of what isn't a really robust safety market is probably a smart way to look at it. Let me give you another name. 25 years old, Landon Collins. You just stole it right out of my mouth. That's the guy I've been looking at the whole time. I don't know if he'll help the market, but if he does, I think that's the exact kind of guy they need to target. He is going to get paid, though, right? Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd pay him, though. I, I don't know that he's been playing very well the last couple of years. He had a massive year maybe two years ago. Um, you know, I don't think I'm looking right now. Uh, you know, I'll have to do a little more research. Uh, yeah, Landon Collins was <laughs> not graded very well by Pro Football Focus, that's for sure, uh, this last year. His, his grades over the last few years, um, well, he was uh, – an 81 in 2016, an 82 last year, and a 70 this year. So he had a pretty drastic drop-off. Um, but 25 years old, the guy has shown clear all-pro talent. He was in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year a few years ago. Definitely been a playmaker, can rush the passer, can support against the run, can uh, make plays on the ball, cause interceptions. I'd be happy to have someone like that paired with uh, paired with Mr. McDougal for a couple of years. Mm. Yeah, it seems like he's recovering from a torn something in his shoulder. If I'm reading this correctly, so there might be some injury stuff, like as recent as December, though. Mm. Get him with Pete Carroll, who's great at developing defensive backs. I'd like to see how he played in this system. Versus the Giants, who were kind of a one-man crew back there, and a lot of guys have left that city and or not city team and gotten a lot better. So I don't know how much worry I'd have about his performance this year because you put him in this system, which is completely different than what they do. That's the kind of guy. But I don't. I don't think he hits the market. I think a lot of the names at the top of the list we'll look at. If you look at most free agent lists, it's mostly defensive ends and guys like Collins who are at the top of the list, and a lot of them will be franchised. So. That's why I got Cummington and Jared. Those guys are interesting names because those guys are probably going to hit the market. Mm. Another guy that interested me a little bit is Brandon Graham, defensive end from Philly. I don't know how old yeah. he is. 31. He's 31, so a little high in age, but defensive ends play well into their 30s. But he's a guy that makes plays on the ball. He strip sacks. Seattle's had issues with turnovers, and they have their secondary concerns. So getting defensive line – better and we talked about defensive tackle and pressure that can kind of hide the the weakness in the secondary a little bit so i think it's really important if whether it's the draft or guy like graham or there's so many defensive ends in this class ziggy ansa d ford if you can pair a guy like that with clark that should make the secondary better right yeah interesting one there's go ahead Oh, no, I mean, just the more we talk about this, the, the 
like the less excited for free agency I am. Like, I I mean, I'd love for them to land a clowny or something like that. It'd be great if they could bring Earl back or something, but they're gonna have a lot of cap space and some of it's gonna have to go to their own guys, but like I just don't know who's blowing my socks off on in this class. Like I think I, I think I missed part of it because I my internet cut out on me for a bit, but you know, talking about whether this is gonna be, you know, a pivotal year or how important this year is for John Schneider and I, I don't know what it'll mean in terms of like hot seat or anything like that, but his ability to kind of sift through all these middle to low, you know, level names that we're talking about and find the next guys that can step in and be contributors that aren't going to be, you know, drawn Browns that we're going to try to be cutting the very next year. Uh, it's going to go a long ways to how much better this team can get. Because again, well, like they've really, they've really, they don't have anything in the draft. I mean, four picks, it's not enough. They're going to trade down, but it's not going to be enough. And so they're going to have to find some really creative ways to get this team better. What about uh, I'm throwing another name out there. I think you you do like uh, Nathan, um, Jason Verrett, cornerback for the Chargers, been often injured, gonna have his value challenged because of it. Twenty eight years old, and when he's been healthy, he's been one of the best corners in football. Is that a guy that that's uh, potentially lower cost, higher upside? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's. And that's the perfect position to do it, right? I mean, if you add Verrett to this group of Quill and Flowers and Coleman, um, and he doesn't give you anything, well, you know, it's not the end of the world. You want to get better there, um, but it's not—it's not, it's not going to kill them if they don't, right? And and they'll find some mid-round guys. They'll try to find another Trey Flowers or whatever. But Verrett, if you do get him and he is cheap and and he actually puts together, you know, a season which he's never done, you know, the most he's ever played is 14 games. Um, His other seasons are six games, four games, and one game. So, you know, really unlikely that he gives you anything, um, but he's a nice gamble um, for that spot and for what they need. All right, here's a name. This is mostly a troll, Evan. I do not want them to sign this guy, but Clay Matthews is a free agent. Evan, how would you feel about that move? Him and Pete Carroll go way back. The most overrated piece of shit in the NFL. John Schneider drafted him. Clay Matthews? He's the most overrated defender in the last decade. I'm not kidding. He's I mean, kidding. he's had 10, 13, 13, and 11 sack years. That's pretty strong. People <laughs> just like him because he's a white guy with long hair. I'm the, sack. the sacks are good. Who sacks the quarterback, or at least used to. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much to him now. Like, he's been, definitely been in the decline. I, I mean, one of my questions, Jeff, and I guess maybe this is an Evan thing, like, do the Seahawks need to sign Russell to an extension this offseason? We keep talking about it. We keep talking about Bobby. Like, it seems to me like they got to sign Frank because they got to sign him. Those other ones, are they more just like opportunistic to use the cap space they have? Do they have to sign those guys this this offseason? Well, the answer is no. Do they have to? No. But like historically, they have extended those players a year before they hit free agency. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would sign Russell yet. 
and it's nothing against Russell. I think. But what's the advantage? What's the advantage from the team side to wait? Quarterback so can you, defensive every day. Yeah. Well, and you can I, front load too, right? Yeah, you can. Okay, so ask why would Russell want to resign then? Well, he won't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's the there's the rub. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, security, injury, security, but we know Wilson is willing to bet on himself. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think Wilson's agent is a baseball guy, and he. Baseball players aren't like football. They like to hit the market. They want to maximize their value and the franchise tag and what happened with Kirk Cousins. I think that's very appealing to Russell's camp and all that talk that the Seahawks misused Russell in the playoffs. Somewhere, Mark Rogers is counting his checks. It's the best thing that could happen to him. That narrative is incredible. So I don't see why he's going to re-sign with Brian Schoenheimer right now. I don't think that is necessarily hot thinking at all. In fact, I think it's the reality. We all we all joke about trading Russell Wilson, letting Russell Wilson walk, but I think his agent is very very serious about reevaluating whether Seattle is the best team for him moving forward. And I hate to say that. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I I get why that's a big bombshell potentially, but man, you know, if, if the Seahawks really get that as clear sign that, that they're going to ask for money that the Seahawks can't commit to, I, I'll tell you what I told you guys in the chat. Like, all right, then Seattle maybe needs to make that call and move on. Like as crazy as that sounds, like uh, having Russell beat, like wait them out, get two franchise tags and walk for nothing. That's, that's disaster. You think the Earl thing is confusing and a major problem. You think the Bennett thing was a stupid move. You think the cam contract was really bad. Those are all like microscopic dots on a elephant's ass compared to letting your franchise quarterback walk for no compensation. So like if that really is where it ends up and they're like, I mean, Russell signed his last deal, like the eve of the first day of last, uh, you know, before the first day of training camp, right? Like the last possible moment. If, if they don't get that now and they get signs that he's not going to re up, I mean, Take the draft picks, you know, move on. And and people think that's crazy, but there's a lot fewer teams looking for franchise quarterbacks right now than there ever have been, I think. There's a lot more quarterbacks coming out. It's a passing-friendly league. It's not as hard to have a passing offense. Not to say Russell isn't, like, I'm super happy to have him, but, you know, I would rather have three draft picks uh, than nothing if he's going to walk. I think that's a terrible idea, but they have to have. <laughs> Wait a second, though. What's a terrible idea? Letting him walk or taking three draft picks if you think he is going to walk? How long are we going to just like let this team piss away talent because they can't get along with them? 
like Sherm's gone. They should have traded Sherm early, right? Because again, like they should have seen where that was going. But that's it. That that relationship was soured. The Earl relationship soured. The Bennett relationship not great. Now we're talking about Russell just leaving because he doesn't want to be here. Like, how much talent do Pete and John get to scare away? It, it seems a little ridiculous. Like, why? Why? Why can't these? Why? Why? Why do these relationships turn bad every time? Well, so you're looking at it that way. Are you saying that you would pay Russell whatever he wants? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have no idea of setting the the, the new QB market with him. I, I think that's fine. Because again, like, think about all the players that we're talking about here. Like, you're going to pay Russell this money, and oh no, you know, he's going to make more than fifteen percent of the cap, and you're not going to be able to sign, you know, Trey Boston or, <laughs> you know. Like James Carpenter, we talked about bringing in James Carpenter. Like, who pay pay your good players, pay Russ. Like, yeah, but that, the main reason this team was any it. good this year. Like, I don't think that I don't. In the scenario I was talking about, I'm not talking about a situation where the Seahawks are like, yeah, we're not going to pay you, or we're not going to let you set the market. Like, I think that's totally fine that that he sets the market. I think I've been consistent about that. But if Russ is like, nope. But why is he like, nope? Why? Like, he just wants to leave just because? Put yourself in Russell Wilson's shoes right now. Put yourself in Mark Rogers' shoes right now, his agent. Do you think Seattle is the best place for his career from two perspectives? To win Super Bowls in the next five to ten years and to make as much money as possible. Is Seattle that best place? They can put, you're not a Seahawks fan right now. You are Russell Wilson and you are Mark Rogers. Is Seattle the best place? No. I agree. Where's better? Where's he going to go? Any offense that caters to his talents, maximizes his usage, lets him throw the ball in the playoffs. You mean an offense that helps him set his career highs for passing touchdowns year after year and – uh, lead the okay. fourth his, offense and his career highs. I mean, I, you're comparing him to his career in Seattle. Like, when's Jared Goff a free agent? A couple oh. years. Yeah, I think he has two more years left on his deal. Okay, I mean, either way, like, he, Russ could be a free agent. He could go to LA. He could go play with Sean McVay. Oh, right? That hurt me. <laughs> Tom Brady ain't gonna play forever. Oh, no. Oh, God. No, I mean, really, though, like, there are places that if Russ, for, like, decided to force his way out, he could go find better opportunities. Yeah. Right? And, and but, my, and whatever you think of him, if he decided to do that, I'm sure a lot of people would, would not like Russ as a person anymore. The fact of the matter is that we're talking about whether, I mean, this is the old thing, right? If Russ is like, I can't be successful here. I want to go play for Sean McVay or somebody that like lets me throw the ball. And you're going to say, no, we're going to keep shoddy. We're going to keep to this thing. Like, and you're just going to let your, you're just going to sour that relationship and let him leave. Like that doesn't seem like the right answer. Jeff, what's your thought there? Here's one for you guys. The LA chargers. There you go. LA. Philip Rivers is getting old. That's a place where Russell can make some money, but I don't know. I, I think Russell, the thing will get negotiated and it's 
not the most exciting take, but I think that with the two franchise tags, Seattle's in a good spot. But yeah, I get what Evan's saying. Like if you're Russell, you probably want to play with a great offensive line or you want to play with a great receiver or you want to play an offense that's going to make him the focal point. But yeah, I just, it's it's hard to think because what, what's, what's Russell's reputation in those articles, those takedown articles that he's all about himself and he's not friendly with his teammates. And if he leaves to, just because he wants to better his stats, does that help his reputation? I have a lot of questions. And Russell ends every interview with Go Hawks. All of a sudden, he bails to chase the money. I don't know. I just see the thing. I think he really likes playing for Pete Carroll. I think they align a lot as much as we complain about his philosophy offensively. I think they align a lot in terms of like their positive thinking and always thinking they have a chance. I think the two of them really do like playing for each other. So I don't know how long Pete's going to stick around for. So I think that's a huge factor. But yeah, I see where the agent's coming from. If I'm the agent, I'm using all those shoddy, the Warren Sharp tweets. I'm framing that. And I'm bringing that to every single negotiation I have. Because if I'm him, that's gold. You want everyone saying Russell's amazing. Seattle blew it. Brian, you look like your head's about to explode. So I just think it's such like I want to swear, but I'm not going to. I, I, I He's going to do better than being the second winningest team in the NFL over the last over his career. Like that's what he's he, he's he's in such a bad situation that he's going to go from being a top five DVOA offense in like almost you know you know five out of his seven years or whatever to to being you know something better than that that he's going to you know throw more than 36 touchdowns because there's so many quarterbacks throwing more than 36 touchdowns a year. Like, well, it's, that's like true. it's ridiculous. Well, if that's true and everything is rosy and great here, then there's no it's reason that he'd force him way out. Ridiculous to Why say would he be that, unhappy? That he's just going to like, and, and this notion that like he gets a pass for, um, yes, he wants to win, but he also wants to maximize how much money he makes, which is totally antithetical to winning. Let's not pretend that it's not like he doesn't need, he doesn't need the extra 10 million and his team could have a much better shot at winning no matter where he plays, whether it's Seattle or otherwise. So like this idea that the problem is simply that, you know, Seattle ran too much this year. Like, that's just crazy. Well, then why is, why did you throw out the idea that he might just get tagged twice and then walk? Why why would he be unhappy? That's that's up to him. I mean, that's I mean, that's Evan was the one who put that out there. So, I'm saying if he's planning to leave, then I want something in return before he goes. That's what I was saying. I don't think that's a hot take at all. <laughs> would you make would you fire Shotty though to keep him? Sure. Right. I have no attachment to Shotty, but I also I would be really careful about letting your players run your organization all the way up to the owner. I think that that's, that's a sign of real challenge. And I think you're setting yourself up for some really troublesome inverse leadership. Tom Brady does not get personnel decision over what's going on in New England. And he's the best player that's ever played that position. Bill Belichick makes every decision better be damn sure about that. So I, I don't know. I think 
I love that everyone loves Russell here. I love Russell. I'm happy he's our quarterback. He's the best quarterback we've ever had. But like this like religious fanaticism about the fact that everything needs to revolve around him, it's like bizarre to me. Like I'm a Seahawks fan. Russell is a Seahawk. As soon as he's on some other team, I'll cheer for him. I hope he does well. But you just rattled off all these great things about the offense and the touchdowns and this and that. Of course, people should be concerned about keeping him in like, yeah, it should revolve around him. He's fantastic. And they should find a way to, and if they're going to pay him, they should find a way to maximize his value. Like it's not really that surprising that people like Russell and people want him to be put in the best position to succeed because he's the player that has the most influence on the, the team's ability to succeed. And he's one of the best players like in the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been very consistent. Like, there's been people that say, like, we should fire Pete Carroll. We can't keep them both. Like, I'm happy that they extended Pete Carroll. (laughs) I think that they should pay Russell Wilson. I think it's a pretty simple decision. The conversation we're having, Nathan, is if Russell decides he does not want to take that money, do you just – you literally fire the coach? You fire the GM? You start all over and you wait and let Russell then pick who, like, is that literally what you're saying that he should then be able to go to the owner and pick who the coach and the GM are? Like, where does it stop? I, I don't, I don't know. Would that be the worst Answer, thing? Like, where does it stop? I don't know. I mean, would that be the worst thing? Oh my God. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> what world are you living in? <laughs> this, this one, the same one as you, like you have a really fantastic player. Uh, you want to keep him. He doesn't want to play for the coach. Uh, I don't want to do this much more because I feel like this is like... I actually, like, I, I honestly don't know, like... That's not a good look, dude. Who cares how it looks? Like, it's about having talent and winning games. Like... I mean, at the end of the day, Brian, Russell Wilson is way more important to this franchise than Pete Carroll. You, I mean... Wrong. A hundred percent wrong. God. Pete Carroll oh. didn't have a winning record until Russell came. Ooh. Like you, you can pretend that they can recreate the LOB or you can try to go back and let them, you know, trade for the next Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, but this team had a terrible record with quarterbacks outside of Russ. And, you know, Pete Carroll has a losing record outside of Russ. So, what is if if Russ wants to blow it up and is willing to stay here? <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that. That is that is the most ridiculous notion that the quarterback gets to decide who the coach and the GM of the organization is. If that's where you're gonna go, I, I don't think there's any conversation to be had. I don't think it's a ridiculous idea. I don't think it's something that every team should do. But I don't think it's a really ridiculous idea. Well, hey, look, didn't Aaron Rodgers just kind of do it with Mike McCarthy? Hold up. Doesn't LeBron James do this? I, that's kind of who I keep thinking about. Like, I've seen basketball players do this for a while now. LeBron, he's doing all right. LeBron calls the shots. <laughs> yeah, how many championships has he had recently? <laughs> One. More championships than Russell Wilson has. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> LeBron has won a championship more recently than Russ. Yeah, more recently, but he doesn't have more in the last, you know, set of, same set of time. Like, anyway. If that's <laughs> doesn't he, doesn't that's, he have more? If you go back to, like, 2012, doesn't he have more? Than 2012? I don't, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. 
I mean, if you want to really slice your time window just right, I mean, you can get it so that they have the same amount, but... Right. And we're also talking about, like, one of the, you know, all-time dynasties of sports with the Warriors that they've been going against. But, yeah, well, anyway. We're talking about the best player that's maybe ever played the sport. Do you believe that Russell Wilson is better than Tom Brady, Drew Brees right now? That's only two players. No, if he the right offense, he easily could be. Or he, he could be. Could be. Are you kidding? No, I know he could be better than Tom Brady if he was in a different offense. That's what your position is. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? We are losing all credibility on this. Is that, show. Is that, that a is the most Homer take of all time? Russell Wilson has been dealing with a bullshit offensive line for like the first nine years of his career. When have you ever had a pass blocking unit like above rank 25? Yeah, honest to God, if Russ had actually thrown his weight around a little bit more and gotten fi uh, cable fired a few years sooner, maybe he would have more rings than LeBron James recently. Like he, he probably could have made some better coaching decisions than Pete has the last five years. It's true. Russ deserves all the credit. It's not <laughs> that. It's just like well. he's extremely good. You know, never, it never had he he has won countless Super Bowls and division titles since he did not have the benefit of one of the best defenses in the history of the NFL. Right? It was just Russ. It was wasn't that defense. That defense had nothing to do with it. It was who's taking Russ. away from the defense? Who's taking away from the defense? You are. You're saying How? Russ. Pete had a losing record. The only difference was Russ. That was the only difference. I mean, they went from a seven and nine team to like a top DVOA team. It would, the difference was Russ. Like literally, that was the difference. The defense, very, very good. Not taking anything away from it, but like, let's not sit here and pretend that Russ isn't like critical to this team's success. I'm not pretending that. I see it as a team sport. And uh, do you think that they're going to recreate the LOB? Entire team, down to every player, every coach, every. Uh, the personnel decision was Pete Carroll. Every single one. And is he going to do it again? Including Russell Wilson, including making the decision to let him be picked. Is he going to do it again? Allow him to be the starter as a rookie. Is he going to do it again? Is Pete going to do it again? Going to do what again? Is he going to build the greatest defense of all time again? No. Well, then what is the attachment? Russ is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If we don't think Pete can do what he did that got him to the Super Bowl in the first place, why are we so worried about keeping around? Why why wouldn't we let Russ throw his weight around a little bit and make some decisions? Like again, if if that's if this had happened and he'd forced cable out sooner, this team probably would have been more successful the last few years. And that was just a flaw in Pete. That was him being too loyal for too long. Right. And and Russell Wilson has no flaws? No, of course he has flaws. What are his flaws, Nathan? What? What are his Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Wait, you know, like, what is the point? Like, Russell Wilson can't have flaws. He's no, no, of course he does. He, water. He, he's oh my better God. than Tom Brady. The only reason he's what is better the than Tom Brady is because he's not on another team. That's the only reason, obviously, because he clearly, like, he makes every pass. He is perfect at pre-snap reads. He's perfect at short and intermediate throws. He's perfect at making all the right decisions. He has always done well when he's in a high-volume passing offense. Every single time, he's made every right decision. So the only thing holding him back is coaching, right? That's It's it's obvious. I, I don't know why I didn't see that before. 
are we trying to argue that he wouldn't be better in McVay's offense or in Belichick's offense? No, I'm not trying. And, and we already you already rattled off all of his accomplishments that he throws all these touchdowns. He's got this very good offense, right? Like, so he would be even better in other places. Yes, he has flaws, but like, I think the idea of him pushing. Like the idea that he's going to get the GM fired and the coach fired, like this is just wild speculation at this point. But the idea that the, that this team wouldn't be better off with him pushing them to be more aggressive, to be more modern, to be to pass more, it's like that's a hundred percent true. Like they would be better if he pushed Pete in the ways that Pete needs to be pushed, and Russell will be better if they get coaches that push Russell in the way that Russ needs to be pushed. Like, so is that a flaw in Russell there? Is he too passive? Yeah, that's that's the flaw. There you go. That's where how he's not perfect. Is he didn't put push Pete? In, no, like Russell isn't perfect, and Russell needs someone to hold him accountable and all that stuff. Like do you, he's, do you want him more like Aaron Rodgers? I don't think it would hurt. Mm-hmm. And not to the point. And like Pete Carroll is not Mike McCarthy. Like Pete Carroll doesn't need to be fired offensively. Right? <laughs> all right, offensively maybe, but like the idea that like this team wouldn't be better with you know, Russ holding their feet to the fire a little bit and, you know, having that mentality of accountability going the other direction, I think is perfectly reasonable. I I don't think it's a bad thing when players like great players like LeBron or Russell or Aaron Rodgers or whoever push their team to be better. (laughs) Isn't that what Sherman did all those years? Like, why is that worth saying? Because you seem to be arguing with it. No, of course like, players should be pushing their team to be better. Always. And they should be push, pushing the coaches to be better. And if the coaches – if you're a, a player of Russell's stature and you have coaches that have clear limitations that refuse to get better, then you should try to push them out or push yourself out. Like that that's not – that's not – that's neither selfish nor like a bad strategy. Here's what worries me. Who's Russell complaining about this to? This is a big picture issue. Who's above P right now? It's just Pete, right? I mean, I know that's a scary thing. What you guys are arguing? Who is he arguing to? Did Wilson? Judy Allen? Did Wilson's comments to the media at the end of the season not kind of like make any of you nervous? You remember that the comments after the Cowboys game? Uh, Yeah, it didn't. I mean, I think it's it's I think it's clear how he feels. Right. I mean, but I don't think I'm nervous about this. Like, I think we are wildly speculating at this point that that. Sure. Sure. But like those types of comments from Russell are a pretty big deal. Like, remember, this is like robot Russell who only says optimistic things. This was him being like semi-critical and it was kind of interesting to see. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how the coaching staff takes it because, again, like we've joked about it all year long, right? But they've made a big deal about accountability. And, and will they hold themselves accountable? Again, not needing to fire anybody or anything like that necessarily. But, like, I think that, you know, they, the coaches, the offensive game plan was a massive cluster in the most important game of the year, and it caused them to lose. And there needs to be some, you know, introspection about that. Did you guys see Jake Heap's comment the other day about the offense? I did, but I don't remember what they were. I think Heap said that this year was about setting an identity and next year is about building on the passing game. Do you buy that at all? Or is that just him? It is obviously what's going to happen. Like, like the whole – this is all a tempest in a teacup 
about people that just want it to be all about passing. If you look at if you look at the the Seahawks play calling splits over Pete Carroll's time with Russell Wilson, this year was a total aberration in terms of how much they ran. It was way off the charts in terms of how much more run centric they were. And the last two years were kind of off the charts more and being pass centric than they typically have been. The first few years, like 2012 to 2015, it was roughly 50-50. And so I think there's a lot of evidence that they kind of looked at what they had and that they weren't able to pass protect worth crap this year and made an adjustment. And they were able to go from having one of the worst run games in history last year to having one of the better ones in the league, if not the best. And so now they know that they can do that. That's good. Next year's absolutely going to be about getting more into the passing game, you know, more balance. I think that's all pretty obviously where they're going to go. I don't know that that's obvious at all, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that, that is my expectation. Okay, Evan, you're you're not a Pete Carroll guy. So you saw all these guys get hired, all the passing coordinators, everyone who knew Sean McVay from his quarterback to the guy in Green Bay who McVay didn't even keep. When you see these guys getting hired, are you jealous? Um, that's a or good would you have wanted one of those guys to replace Pete? Everybody thinks like I want to fire Pete Carroll like right now. I really like Pete Carroll. Dude, that's bull. No, <laughs> you, you would see such a wuss on no, this. You come on here and you're like, oh, I, I like Pete. He's an okay guy. I just, let me, let me I, say something. He's different completely than who he is. But other than that, I really like him. I, okay, let me lay down the fucking law. Pete Carroll needs to fucking adapt from his goddamn archaic offense from the fucking 1200s, 1200 BC, he needs to adapt to the modern era. And if he refuses, if he refuses to grow, fire his ass right fucking now. Get him out of Seattle right now. Because you know what? If he's going to be a part of the problem, he's not going to be part of the solution. And we are not going to win a Super Bowl with him unless he adapts, he grows, and he centers this team around Russell Wilson. We will not win another Super Bowl with him. I guarantee you, if he does not grow, he does not adapt, he does not evolve. You throw the caveat. We're all going to be 95 years old, and we're going to be celebrating that one Super Bowl win in fucking 2014. That's just the story. I'll, I'll tell you how it ends. That's it. You you clearly love Pete Carroll. I don't know why I was thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> I want Pete Carroll to adapt. He'd be so good if he just if he, if he got a little bit better offensively. Just a little bit. Just a little. Please. Better than fourth in scoring. Oh. <laughs> Better than fourth. I'm just asking, like, is, is he only good if he's first in scoring in the NFL? Is that Did the, he adjust and adapt well in the Cowboys game? No, of course not. That's known. Even the court, even Schottenheimer admitted that. So that's – I don't know why that's even a discussion point. Like, of course they Shotty, that game. Shotty's interview this week on Brock and Sock was ugly. Yeah, hold on, hold on. So, 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 like, yeah, he, he, that, that was a problem for, for that game. So, 
For the year, though, they were the fourth in the NFL in scoring on, on offense. What is the bar? How high do they have to be for it to be good enough? I don't think they're saying that, though. I think they're saying what they did this year isn't sustainable based on Russell's big plays and third downs. And I think that's more of a problem than their total offensive production. Am I wrong here? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, they have to make better they, – they, they need to make better decisions in key situations, and they need to construct the offense a little bit more soundly. Like, and maybe they only go from fourth to third, or maybe they stay at fourth, or maybe they go from fourth to fifth. But like, you can't have games like the Cardinals game, the Dallas game. Like, you have to be able to guys adapt. <laughs> guys, if that's true, wouldn't the evidence be that the Seahawks were wildly there would be wild variance in the Seahawks scoring much more than other teams? They're like either big hit or big miss, right? Like, if that would be the evidence that if the Ultimately, it is scoring. Like, either you score points and you win or you don't score points and you lose. Like, it is about scoring, ultimately. Not how you do it stylistically, but do you score or do you not? They did that better than all but three teams in the NFL this year. And they also, I have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure I saw a stat. There was only, like, four or five teams in the NFL that didn't score less than 17 points in a game this year, and the Seahawks were one of them. So... They also scored pretty consistently and they scored 27 or more in like 12 of 14 games or something like that. Like they were scoring a lot of points. They averaged over 30 points a game over the last half of the year. So like, I just, I'm just calling bull a little bit about, you know, yeah, like, of course there's more efficiency to be had on offense. Of course there is like, and maybe they can get better. Maybe they can be the first overall scoring offense. But the fact that that's where all the focus is, I don't get it. Like, I think I think I would take a top five DVOA offense, which they were not this year, but they've been plenty of times during Pete Carroll's era. I would take that every year. And I would definitely take a top four scoring offense every year. Don't care how they got to it. If they're top four, I will take that every single year. Offense is not the problem from my perspective. Russell Wilson is a huge asset there and he's helping. So let him continue to help. And show me how you get this defense to not be doing this, which is allowing more points every single year. And <clears throat> who are you going to bring in that's going to fix that better than Pete Carroll? Well, that's happening under Pete Carroll. Yeah. So maybe somebody else could do it better than Pete Carroll because Name it. Like Carroll's like, not doing it very good. Name it. I mean, like, so I, I don't know. Here's the thing that's frustrating about these conversations that we have is we just constantly like push the blame. Like Schneider's in the top 20% of GMs, but they have no picks and they have no talent and they have all these needs. Uh, but Pete, it's not Pete's fault because Pete, nobody's going to come in and coach this defense better, even though the defense is a problem and the points go up every year. And you know, the offense is limited, but hey, they're fourth in points, but we know they could do more, but it's nobody's fault because they were already good. Like, how, who, at some point, the problems on this team have to land somewhere. You're right. The second winningest team over the last nine years that's made the playoffs almost every year. I mean, again, like, how do we... Down. Who to blame for that major problem? We've had a lot of complaints on this podcast, and seemingly no one is to blame for them. Like, the defense is no good. There's no talent on the defense, but it's not the coach's fault. It's not the GM's fault. Like, well, at some point, the buck has to stop somewhere. 
Yeah. I, I mean, it, I don't think if that's the message you're getting, of course there's blame. Like there's no doubt. And it always ultimately goes to the coach as well as the freaking credit guys. Like you don't get to just find the problems and lay those at his feet. And then all the credit goes to the player or a player in particular. That just doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, I think you can, uh, I don't think you just assign all credit and all blame to the coach. I think you can be a little bit more, you know, discerning than that. But I mean, ultimately it all go, rolls up to Pete. I mean, even personnel. So, I mean, ultimately it is him and, I think Jeff's question was a great one. Who have the who have the coaches that got hired so far? Do you feel like would put the Seahawks in a much better position than they are right now? That that not only would lead us offense to be higher than fourth in the NFL in scoring, but also figure out how to address the defensive issues that that need to be addressed. Well, I think the offensive question is pretty simple. I think a lot of these coaches could do this or more with the offense right i mean again earlier on we said yes yeah sure like how good is shoddy you like shoddy you'd rather have adam no 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 no. carol he's a head coach well okay but here's the thing was the defense good this year no is shoddy a good offensive coordinator no so how hard could it be to replace what the team did if you think most coordinators are better than shoddy and the defense wasn't very good, then you could probably hire Adam Gase and have a not very good defense and maybe even a better offense. And this team would maybe be in a better situation. Like, again, like you can't, we can't keep pushing things around. Like at some point, somebody's responsible for it. I don't think there's any doubt who's responsible for it. It's Pete Carroll. So the question is, who's better? And, you know, what's the plan to get that to happen? Right. And and earlier on, we did say, too, that we thought a lot of the win now stuff was about Pete. And so the reason that they may have trouble restocking on talent in this kind of transition phase for them, which a very successful transition phase, no doubt, but it is a transition phase. Well, they've got four draft picks. Right. And like, like, so, again, if if Pete's not adding a lot on the defense and he's not adding a lot on the offense. And we think he's part of the problem for why they are having, why why they're a little limited in how they can restock the talent of this team. Like, I don't know, like (laughs) kind of keeps coming back to Pete. And which is again, not to say that he he needs to be fired or anything like that, but like this idea that, you know, who would have gotten this team to where they are like only Pete Carroll. Like, I don't really buy that. There's a lot of coaches out there that I think could have done this. That's clear. I mean, yeah, I, I think that you've got a team that nationally was largely expected to win four to six games and won 10 and made the playoffs and should have potentially won more. So I, if you're down on the coaching job at that point, I don't know what else to say. Um and yeah, I absolutely think that the defense was super light on talent this year. And I think that they did a lot of work developing those players. And I think that almost any other coach that would have been a bottom five defense um, in all major numbers. And I think Pete's a major reason why it wasn't. So, you know, 
that's my point of view. Uh, clearly not yours, uh, <laughs> which makes this a fun discussion. But uh, God have mercy on your souls when we have the next coach in here and you guys are probably not on here because you just can't watch Seahawks football anymore. Like, it's going to be so bad. Oh, yeah, scoring so many touchdowns. Yeah. All those 50 touchdown seasons from Russell Wilson would be so difficult to watch. So many season MVPs. Oh, God. (laughs) God. Passing the ball on first down. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? Pete doesn't call the offensive plays. Okay, but Pete can interject. We've seen him do it. It's why Carson didn't play in the second game, right? In the the Bears game. I don't love Pete. I, I like Pete a lot, and I think you guys shortchange a lot of what he does, but Pete gets a lot of blame from offensive play. Pete doesn't call offensive plays. Most defensive coaches hands their offense to someone else. Hold up. Shotty is executing Pete's identity. This is Yeah, this but he doesn't call the plays. You can you can have an identity and pass the ball on first down. Yes, but the Seahawks don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and that's Shotty. But who does Shotty report to? And who can change that? Yeah, but Daryl Bevel did. And how how good was the offense? Yeah, I no lie, I kind of missed Daryl Bevel. <laughs> he did the first two weeks of the season too. Sixty six percent of the time he passed on, on early downs. I will shamefully admit, moving on from him, I think that was a bad take from me. I, I get what you guys are saying offensively. I actually agree with you. I thought I know Evan got really excited with my adapter die tweet. <laughs> I was after that game. I was I agree with that, and I do agree. And I was reading a book on Bill Walsh from 1968 where he was talking about how only idiots go run, run, pass, and set up their quarterbacks to fail on third down. This was in 1968, and Pete's still not doing that. I agree, but I think you guys are mistaking the job of a coordinator versus a head coach. And you're missing what the head coach does. And so much of that just doesn't show. We can't measure it. It's uh, it's in the culture. It's in the, the job. So, uh, yeah, I think the biggest area Pete's failed is not doing what Dan Quinn did the first time he was hired and pair up with an offensive coordinator that he can hand the offense to. Dan Quinn got Kyle Shanahan. They almost went to the Super Bowl with an elite offense. I think that's been Pete's biggest mistake. I think we – look at the on-field stuff and we look at it like you look at a play caller just based on results of play calling that's the coordinator's job not the head coach's job and what makes McVay so good and if you talk to all the guys who know him and you hear him say it this week he's not just a play caller he he does all the big picture stuff he hired Wade Phillips which is what I just blame Pete for not doing not taking the guy and I, I think Pete really failed 2015 to 17 I think Pete failed in those areas not only was the offense terrible, but the team was crumbling around him. And as Nathan said, their their state is a lot because of what happened with Pete and Schneider. And I think going forward, we got to evaluate them. And I think what you guys are saying are right. And next year, if the, the offense stays stagnant and the defense doesn't get better with a talent infusion, then maybe it is time to move on. But I would like to see how he does with better defensive talent. Yeah, yeah. As I'm concerned, so straightforward. I don't know why it's so contentious. 
You've got an offense that's scoring, and yes, we all agree that it could be better, but the results are pretty good. You got a defense that that needs to improve, and you need to improve it next year, and they need to have more talent added. So uh, it should be that simple. Like, go work on making the defense better, make the offense better as well. But I think you got a lot more work to do on defense, and Look, if they had a better defense this year, you're telling me that they wouldn't potentially be in the NFC Championship right now? I don't know. That fucking oh, playoff no. game was stupid. <laughs> oh, hell no. Their offense runs them into the ground. There's no way. They don't put a I, I get why people are contentious. That playoff game was so bad from a coaching standpoint. <sighs> I, I was furious for a week. <laughs> we got Jeff on board with analytics after that game. Oh, I – I, I still think they need to change offensively, and I do blame Pete for that. And I said it with Kyle Shanahan. He's my dream guy that Pete should have paired with years ago. But from a head coaching standpoint, I look around the league and I see Matt LaFleur getting the Green Bay Packer job. And it's like, really? If a guy came – if we could have got Matt Nagy or Fangio or Doug Peterson – or not Fangio, Doug Peterson, one of those guys, I'm on board. Sure. But, yeah, if you're looking at these names, Zach Taylor and – Someone who coached Ryan Tannehill, Adam Gase, and those giant eyes. I just, I, I just don't see where to go right now. Maybe if you can get Lincoln Riley or something, but I'm stumped where you, where you go. That's better. I just gotta say that that got awesome. That debate was awesome. <laughs> I, I was, I didn't even say a word for like 20 minutes. I just couldn't have enough. It's bizarre. Like, Agreed. I've never seen a less grateful fan base for the most successful period of time in its history ever. It's ridiculous. I mean, I'm very thankful for Russell Wilson. <laughs> I got nothing more to say. Guys, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun. Uh, I think we should call it a night. Probably 10 yeah. people are still watching. <laughs> All right, fellas. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, as you always do. Uh, extra long pod tonight. Um, and we will be going to our biweekly. So we'll be with you in a couple of weeks after the NFC Championships happen, uh, right before the Super Bowl. So, uh should be a lot to talk about. We'll be getting closer to um, true offseason uh, when the the free agency and all the good stuff happens. Senior Bowl should be going on, so we start talking about draft. Um, a lot of good stuff coming. So good night, everybody. Thank you, and uh, go Hawks.